Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 108 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I am super excited to be visiting with Sheila Ray Gregoire. Did I say it right? I meant to ask you before. That's really good, Natalie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I see it all the time and I don't think I've ever really like had to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. So anyway, she is a speaker. She's a marriage blogger. She's had a blog to love, honor, and vacuum for how many years? 12, I think. 12 years? 13 now, March, March, 2008. So 13 years. Oh my gosh. Were you like one of the first bloggers? (laughs) I was like, I was in that Christian marriage bubble that we were, I think you were even in that too back then. And, and then I endured somehow. And I really, I really got transformed and and a lot more loud over the the last (laughs) few years. Well, I think you are amazing and your blog is amazing too. And it's really popular. She's also the author of eight books, eight Mm -hmm. books. How many years did it take you to write eight books? Oh gosh. Um, well, I started in 2003 and then COVID's been really good to me because (laughs) I've just been turning them out this year, (laughs) but yes, the latest one came out yesterday, which is what we're talking about today. So tell us what it's called. The Great Sex Rescue. Um, I always get the subtitle wrong. I, I wrote it down. Okay. I wrote it down. The subtitle is The Lies You've Been Taught. And how and to recover- I can't read my writing. And how to recover what God intended. Yeah. So it's all about the lies that evangelical Christian culture and Christian books told women about sex. And it's just one of those books that is going to make you feel vindicated and validated and seen. And that is, and that is our prayer for this book going forward. That is awesome. And when, when was it released? Yesterday. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Here we are. Okay. We're actually recording just on the back end. We're actually recording this in December. (laughs) Yeah. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) But you guys won't be hearing this until March. So um, awesome. I'm getting my right now I can pre-order it. I just found out. So I'm definitely pre-ordering my own copy. Um, I was also telling Sheila, we're kind of like yin and yang because she's all about the great, you know, helping women have great marriages. And and I'm all about helping women get out of their crappy marriages. So (laughs) here we are together. I'm so excited. Well, we're good friends and we've known each other for years online. I know. And I send people to you all the time. So I feel like we're in this together, even if it is different sides, because we're both after the same thing, which is a Jesus centered life. That's right. Whatever that may look like. That's right. And here's the other thing. A lot of the women that I work with, they end up getting divorced from their abusive partners and they end up getting remarried. And Mm -hmm. then they come into your blog and (laughs) like trying to figure out, okay, what does a healthy marriage look like? How can I make this even more amazing? Yes. And I'm a safe place. So <laughs> yes, yes, yes. exactly. She really, Sheila's a very safe place because you can go to her blog, even if, so if you're listening and you're not sure if your relationship is problematic or not, I mean, you probably know it's problematic, but if you're not sure if it's borders on abusive, go to Sheila's blog. Cause she's got a lot of really great articles that kind of talk about 
that as well. You know, she doesn't skirt around the issue of abuse at all on her blog. So she is a safe resource. Um, the other thing about Sheila is that she lives in Canada and I'm in America and we, I was just thinking, man, we could be such good friends if we lived close to each other. And I have this year, I have, I will not lie. My husband and I have actually brought up the idea of moving to Canada. So <laughs> just be glad that you live up there and not down here. It's really crazy down here. Yep. Um, all right. We're going to, let's get into the discussion about your new book. First of all, tell us why you decided to write this book in the first place. I was really tired of arguments over what constitutes healthy marriage teaching because we go around and around and around in circles about doctrine. You know, does God want, what does it mean that man is the head of the wife? And we talk about complementarianism and egalitarianism. And, and we, we see these things in very doctrinal terms. And when you're engaged in that kind of an argument, it's difficult to feel like you're heard or to even um, get past people's blocks. And so what we decided to do was take it completely out of the realm of doctrine and let's look at data. <laughs> and so we wow. surveyed 20,000 women last year. Thank you for sending so many wow. people to our 20, survey. 20,000 women. 20,000 women. It's the largest survey that's ever been done of its kind. And it was a long survey. So I know, I think, I think you sent about 900 people or 800 people, women to me. So oh, to good. you who are listening, I know a lot of you took that survey. So I just want to say thank you because I know it was long. It was like 25 yeah. minutes. It was huge. <laughs> but what we were really looking at is all of these evangelical teachings. We wanted to measure what their outcome was. So if you believed this stuff, if you were taught this stuff, if you believed it before you were married or believed it now, how does that impact your orgasm rate, your rate of sexual pain and your marital satisfaction? And once we did that, we then started looking at where um, evangelical teaching actually spread some of these ideas. So we took a look at best-selling marriage books. We took a lot of quotes from them and we just wanted to show, Hey, you know what, if you had a really bad marriage or if you had a terrible sex life, maybe it wasn't your fault. <laughs> maybe it's just that you were taught really bad stuff and this was perpetuated in your marriage and it just made you feel invisible and alone. And that wasn't your fault. And let's see how we can get around that and see things the way God really intended. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. This is a huge gift to Christian women. It mm -hmm. really is in our time. So what, can you tell us what some of the books were that you <laughs> pulled <laughs> quotes from? So we looked at the top 10 marriage books on Amazon on the particular day that we started writing this. So we didn't know mm -hmm. how else to measure it. Um, and then we excluded three of them because they just didn't talk about sex. So okay. like we can't, we can't measure the sex messages from that. So we took the seven, the seven best-selling marriage books. And then we looked at six sex books that were just iconic, you know, um, either bestsellers now, or they were like the go-to sex book for years. So for instance, Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly. Lane. Yes. Yes. Everybody, everybody who got married in the eighties or nineties read yep. that, which means that most pastors today that was their sex ed. And yes. so even though it's not a best-selling book today, we felt it was really important to look at the iconic sex books. Um, 
Uh, so, you know, active marriage intended for pleasure, sheet music, every man's battle, um, all, those, those kinds of books. And then in the marriage, we looked at love and respect, his needs, her needs for women only sacred marriage. Um, I, and I have a whole list and I know that you're going to put the link in the, in the, in the um, podcast thing where people can download that list and yeah. for each book, but no, that gives us an idea. Cause I'm sure there are, everyone is in their car driving or whatever going, yes, I read all, every single one of those books. Yeah. <laughs> oh my word. Okay. So, um, what were some of the harmful messages that you uncovered in your study? Well, one of the most harmful ones was a woman is obligated to have sex with her husband when he wants it. And that message is everywhere in yeah. Christian books. They take the do not deprive verse, um, which is first Corinthians seven, three to five, which is about how, you know, the husband's body does not belong to him, but to the wife, the wife's body does not belong to her, but to the husband. And you're not supposed to deprive each other except for a time and for prayer that you may come together again, et cetera. So we're not supposed to deprive each other. Um, and what books do is they take that as the absolute um, command to women that, it, that it, there is absolutely no reason that you're ever allowed to say no. Mm-hmm. And books say this again and again and again, that you are selfish, that you, you can't say no. And so what it, there's so many problems with this, <laughs> but the very, very first one is a definitional one, which is if I were to say to you, if you're still married, you who are listening, you know, did you have sex last night? You know, first of all, that's a really stupid and uncomfortable question to ask, but <laughs> you're picturing something very specific. Like when I say, did you have sex last night? You think what I'm asking you is, and I hope there's no children listening because I'm going to use some words here. So just a, just a warning, you might want to turn the volume down if there are kids listening. But you think that what I'm asking is, did the husband put his penis into the wife's vagina and move around until he climaxed? Because that is our definition of sex. Yeah. And so if you believe that's the definition of sex, then when you read do not deprive and you think, well, I'm not supposed to deprive him of sex. What you're thinking is I'm not supposed to deprive him of the chance to put his penis into my vagina and move around until he climaxes. And he's not supposed to deprive me of him putting his penis into my vagina and moving around until he climaxes. And that says absolutely nothing about her experience. So she is completely missing from that definition. Wow. And that is not the biblical definition of sex. Because in Genesis 4, verse 1, if you read it in the King James, which is actually one of the best translations of this verse, you know, it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived unto them a son. And when, when I heard that verse in junior high, I remember thinking that was hilarious, right? Because God's embarrassed of using the real word and he <laughs> said no. But actually, there's something there that's really important because the Hebrew word to know that God deliberately used for sex in that verse is the same word that David uses in the Psalms when he says over and over again, search me and know me, O God. Know my inmost heart. You know everything about me. It's this longing for connection. And I think that God used that word there to tell us that sex is not just physical. You know, it is a deep, intense longing for intimacy and sex where intimacy is not a part of it is not biblical sex. 
Wow. So when we're talking do not deprive, it's not him getting the chance to put his A into slot B. It's it's about an intimate relationship, which also is completely mutual, because that's the point of the first Corinthians seven passage. It's completely mutual. God does not ask us to submit to one sided sex. God asks us to be in, in a marriage where sex is a beautiful, mutual, pleasurable, intimate experience. And if it's not that, the do not deprive versus do not apply. <laughs> yeah, that is that is profound. And I think it's going to set a lot of women free and unsnag them in their minds because that verse was, you. I've talked to literally hundreds of women. That verse is used as a weapon to it beat is. them, really as a justification for marital rape in some cases. Oh, would you like to talk marital rape? Yeah, let's get into it. Incidences of marital rape in books? Let's talk active marriage. You would not believe how many incidences of marital rape we found in all of these books when they didn't even call them marital rape. Okay, give me an example of this. Okay, so active marriage, um, he's talking about a couple or a, a, young, a young woman who's getting married and she's nervous about sex, okay? And then her aunt Matilda comes to her and tells her that sex is a terrible thing. And Tim LaHaye says, isn't this awful that Aunt Matilda told this girl that? And then he explains Aunt Matilda's history. How she was married when she was very young to to a clumsy farmer who was much older than her. And on their wedding night, he, he forced her while she was screaming and trying to push him off. Oh my gosh. And over the rest of her marriage, he continued to rape her and she hated sex. And so she told her niece how horrible it was. And then he says this, he says, isn't it sad that, I don't know how he phrased it exactly, but he used the words, her equally unhappy husband. So he calls the rapist equally unhappy as this woman that he has raped for her entire marriage. Unbelievable. That just shows the underlying Mm -hmm. belief system. Mm -hmm. And she is the antagonist in this story because she is bad for not enjoying sex. And then she warns the niece that sex is a terrible thing. Wow. You know, so that's one instance. <laughs> and that flew, I read that book before I got married the first time. Mm-hmm. That stuff would have flown right over our heads, right? Yeah. I read the fourth edition. So it, so I think the fourth edition was published sometime in the 90s. It was originally published in 1976. And in 1976, to be fair, marital rape was not on, necessi- was not necessarily a crime in a lot of jurisdictions in the U.S. By the 90s, it was in most jurisdictions. And he actually did use the word rape. And yet he never explained that this was something bad or that the husband had done anything bad or that the wife should call the police, anything like that. He just said that the husband was equally unhappy. Wow. That's tragic. Yeah. And that's why a lot of women, especially women in my group, they will talk about marital rape and they won't even know. Like there have been coaching calls where I've said, that's rape. What you just described is rape. And they're shocked. 
We had a number, after we did the survey of 20,000 women, we did a number of focus groups and interviews afterwards. And um, we talked to, I think it's eight women who who shared their stories of marital rape. And the majority of them did not have a word for it. They did not oh. know they did not know what to call it until they were talking to divorce lawyers or later on. Yeah. Yeah. Said, yeah so that is sad. That because the problem is these books do not give women any reason to say no ever. Um, the, you know, the only reason you're allowed to say no is for prayer and fasting, as it says in first Corinthians seven. So other than that, you're not allowed to say no. And for instance, in sheet music, um, Kevin Lehman says that even during your postpartum period or your, or your period, uh, that you should be giving hand jobs or oral sex, um, to keep him from watching pornography. So even so it's your responsibility, then it's like yes. the whole responsibility is basically on the wife. Yes, and that's and that's another of the toxic beliefs that we were looking is um, you should have sex so that your husband's temptation to watch porn or to lust will be less. Um, And that is a very common teaching. Uh, Every man's battle; those books are based upon that. They advise men to stop to bounce your eyes so that you don't lust after women, and instead transfer all your sexual energy to your wife. And they talk about how, you know, it could be that you were going to her for five bowls of sexual gratification a week, but now that you've stopped lusting, you're suddenly coming to her for 10 bowls. And she will, and she will find this, she will find this exciting. What? Mm -hmm. I want to swear right now. I actually, yeah, I actually said (laughs) an astonishing lack of insight into women. They then say, (laughs) unbelievable. yeah. So again, it's that, and in every man's battle, um, specifically calls women methadone for their husband's porn addictions. So, uh, they said, um, they said in their part to women, if your husband is struggling, finds his temperature rising, be like a merciful vial of methadone to him. Wow. Again, it just objectifies women is what it does. Mm-hmm. And again, that is not the biblical way of looking at it. No. In the Bible, God clearly tells people that you, you are responsible for your own sexual morality. Someone else is not responsible for that for you and that you need to, you need to be sexually pure yourself. And it also says first Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has taken you except which is common to all. And God is faithful and he will not tempt someone above what they are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to stand up under it. Mm, yeah. So, you know, God, there is no temptation that you cannot withstand without a hand job from your wife. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so give us one more. Can you give us one more example of 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 a bad teaching? Yeah, or or of marital rape. You want to of a bad te- of a bad teaching that you guys exposed. Teaching? Okay, um, uh, another one is, and this is a difficult one because most people believe this, but boys will want to push your sexual boundaries. So teaching teenage girls, boys are always going to want to push your sexual boundaries. And so you need to be the gatekeeper. You need to make sure that things don't go too far. You're responsible for that because he can't control himself. Um, That leads to higher rates of sexual pain as well. I should say the obligation sex message that you're obligated to have sex um, when he wants it. That is correlated with um, 
higher rates of, of primary vaginismus, which is, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, it's, a, it's a sexual pain condition where your vaginal muscles constrict involuntarily. So nobody's trying to make it happen. And in fact, often you're desperately trying to not make it happen, mm-hmm. but you can't, you can't cause those muscles to relax and it makes penetration very difficult or at times even impossible. And we found that around 33% of women had experienced sexual pain. Some Now, some of it was postpartum, so about 20% primary pain, 20% postpartum. Some of them had both. And so altogether, it was, it was around, I think it was like 32.6% or something like that. Um, and of those, 7% had had it so badly that penetration was impossible. And the obligation sex message is... Uh, causes as much increase in the rate of sexual pain statistically as prior abuse does. Wow. So having, like we would assume that if you've got abuse in your past, then obviously you're going to have higher rates of sexual pain. But hearing the obligation sex message, our bodies literally interpret that as abuse, as trauma. And it, 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 and it has the same statistical significance in the, in the uh, increase in, um, in vaginismus as abuse does. So basically women have been programmed or brainwashed to believe these messages that have actually shot marriages in the foot. Really? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And, and from books that are supposed to be <laughs> helping you have a great marriage, right? Yeah. yeah. Another, one of the other most damaging ones is all men struggle with lust. It's every man's battle. Um, when women believe that your orgasm rates plummet, you know, Uh, what's the connection there? Because if you believe that all men struggle with lust and, um, that then, then there's this idea that you're no longer a person, you're just an object. Yeah. And, and he's, he needs this, he needs the release. And so sex is seen as something which is about release, not about intimacy. Yeah. And it also causes um, women's trust in their husbands to, to go down. And interestingly, believing this message as a teenager. So a lot of women are taught this in high school, right? Like, don't be a stumbling block for guys. Be careful what you wear. All of that. All of that. You're taught that in high school because all guys lust. And then let's say you meet your husband when you're 25 years old and he's actually a good guy. Like he doesn't use porn. He doesn't do any of these things. What we found is that even then it impacts your ability to trust him. So even controlling for guys being pigs, like even women who are married to guys who are upstanding, decent guys have worse sex because they were primed when they were teenagers before they even met the guy. He didn't stand a chance. Yep. Yep. These books are telling women that you cannot trust your husbands. Right. There's their, their brains are programmed to believe a certain thing. So even though their adult self is recognizing this is a good guy, he's not like that. Their mm-hmm. physical brain all has already bought into a completely different story. Right. And that's the part that's causing all of these internal issues then yes. that affect our bodies. Yep. It's not even necessarily in our control. Right. Exactly. Well, it's not really in our control. It's the yep. brain body thing. Yeah. And that's what often makes orgasm so elusive. Like what we found is that there is a 47 point orgasm gap. Okay. Among men and women in evangelical circles. And what we mean by that is that men, 95% of men 
almost always or always reach orgasm during a sexual encounter, but only 48% of women do. Yeah. Which is actually incidentally higher than I thought we were going to find. So I think that's, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's pretty kind of high, but yeah, it was higher great. than I thought we were going to find, but that's good. Um, and then another 18%, I believe reach orgasm, like at least half the time. Um, but there is that 47 point orgasm gap. And so when, when we're constantly telling women, you need to want sex more, you need to desire him more. But we're not addressing the fact that why should she want something which does nothing for her? Yeah. Like libido is not the issue. Orgasm is the issue. And so that's, that's one of the things that we're really drilling down on in the book is there are so many instances in Christian books where women are told what your husband really needs is not just for you to want sex, but for you to, for, to believe that he's a good lover. And so you need to make sure that he believes he's a good lover, like tell, cause he needs to feel like, like he's satisfying you. And so make sure he knows that he's satisfying you. And, and we have all kinds of quotes from different books about this. And yet when well, you're faking it, I've done books, that. Yeah. What these books don't say is um, he should also make sure that he actually does make you feel good. Right. Like, <laughs> Like it's more important, it's more important to tell women that you're supposed to make him feel like he's a good lover than it is to tell men that you actually have to be a good lover. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a problem. (laughs) That's a big problem. It's so funny because I, I am your target audience. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I've been brainwashed. Even when you're talking, I'm like, my brain is kind of doing a little bit it's doing a little bit of a flippy thing. You know, my brain's going, yeah, yeah. I've never thought about this. Um, and I'm remarried and, you know, trying to figure it out all out again, only with a healthy person, but we're still, we are, he grew up Catholic, like, yeah. so still very religious and still very interesting ideas about sex and what it's for and everything. But he's much, you know, he and I both struggle with all of that, with inhibitions and the whole nine yards because of how our past is. And yeah. it's so sad. So yeah. I'm kind of, I'm hoping that this book, does this book, it talks about the issues, right? Does it also, you know, help you to rewire your brain properly? Yeah. So at the end of each chapter, so what we do is we try to present the seven principles of healthy sex. Okay. Um, which, and, and then we show how, how different books and teachings have undermined these principles. And then we say, now here's how we can reclaim them. And so we have a rescuing and reframing section where we say like, you know, instead of saying um, all men lust, say people struggle with lust, (laughs) but not everybody. And God is bigger than this. And with the Holy spirit, you can overcome it, you know, things like that. Or instead of saying, um, you know, men, men want sex more than women say, People all have sexual needs, but some of them feel them to different degrees. And often during marriage, who has the higher one flips? Like, 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 like when we say, when we're constantly telling women, he wants sex more than you do, should we be surprised when women don't want sex? Like if self-fulfilling prophecy is a thing. I mean, Emerson Eggers literally says in love and respect, if your husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. Yeah. You know, how does that help women by telling them, hey, women, you don't need sex? Yeah. You know, plus the fact that, hey, it's only 60% of marriages where he actually has the higher sex drive. 
You know, right. in, rough, in roughly 20%, it's the same. And in another 20%, she has the higher sex drive. Right. And then a Christian woman is left wondering what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. If she's got a higher sex drive and he doesn't mm-hmm. really have one. I know when I got married the first time around, I was told that, oh, they're going to want, you know, they're going to want to have sex all the time. And my, my first husband didn't. My second husband hasn't either. Yeah. They're not like, they're, neither one of them were, you know, <laughs> sex animals or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Sex kittens. I think that's what they call girls. Anyway, neither, <laughs> neither one of them were like that. And so I was left wondering, well, maybe there's something wrong with me that mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm just not attractive enough. Maybe I'm not. And it mm-hmm. wasn't like I really wanted it all the time, but I kind of wanted to be desired. Right. And I don't think either one of them really, <clears throat> my, my first husband was abusive in other ways, but not in this area. He just wasn't, he just didn't have a high sex drive mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yep. Yep. And it needs to be acknowledged that there's big differences and there's big variations, even in the idea that men are visually stimulated and women aren't, you know, my research over the last two to three years has totally upended that women are just as visually stimulated as men. It's just that we're conditioned not to give into it or think about it. But the same parts of the brain light up in the same intensity for all these things. It's just that what men and women find visually stimulating tends to differ. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Subjective differences and and that sort of thing. But it's not that women aren't visually stimulated. Um, It's not that women don't battle lust. and, And everything is on a bell curve and bell curves often overlap. And so there's going to be some women who are going to be on one end and some men on the other, and that's okay. And that's why one of the big things that we're saying in this book is we need to stop talking about gender. Like women are like this, men are like this, because that's not healthy and it's not accurate. Mm. And instead just help couples navigate differences because everybody has differences just to different extents and yeah. about different things. Okay. So I'm curious are are there books out there on the market that are actually coming from a healthy perspective that you do recommend? I know well, you've yes, written some. <laughs> <laughs> so my original, for this book, I just feel for your audience, when you're coming out of destructive marriages and you need to know that you're not crazy, I think this book will be really healing for a lot of women just to read it and especially read all the quotes from all these terrible books and realize, oh my goodness, they actually did say that to me. <laughs> you know, But if you're looking at how to build something healthy, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, which was my original big book on everything you ever wanted to know about what God made sex like for women and what was his intention, that's awesome. Um, 31 Days to Great Sex is a really fun challenge that couples can do together. And they can help you talk about a lot of these issues, like what is sex, how it's not only physical, how do we work on the emotional and the spiritual part part of sex. Plus how do we spice things up at the same time? So awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you've, you've really filled a very black hole (laughs) in this genre and it's so needed. Maybe I would say, you know, 200 years from now, the world is going to look very different. It's going to be better. I think I'm more of a, you know, I think the world is getting going in a better direction. There's a lot of crap going on while it gets there. Yeah. Think about it. Think about how far we've come in the last 200 years when it comes to women and how we're being treated. And there's still a long, long ways to go, but we're getting there. So Mm -hmm. I think that the work that you're doing is 
part of that process of getting there. You're taking, doing a study with 20,000 women. Yeah. That's huge. Doing that exposes, it's like, how can you argue with a study with 20,000 women that takes 25 minutes to fill out a survey, you know, that you're exposing reality there and shining a big, huge flashlight on it. You can't ignore that. Once it's exposed, then we can start addressing what's really screwed up about it. And hopefully some of those books Mm -hmm. that you're quoting in your book, hopefully Mm -hmm. some of those books will be non-existent 200 years from now. And it will just be a a byline in history that these books existed and created more problems for Christian women. And because here's the thing there, I believe God's vision for men and women for all of humanity is that we would be working side by side Mm -hmm. in love, in mutual respect and mutual harmony and fulfilling all of the gifts that God gave to us and doing it together instead of always fighting against each other, which mm-hmm. is kind of, I shouldn't even say fighting against each other. Cause I feel like that's even kind of mutualizing the problem. Yeah. And history shows that women have been marginalized and beaten down and blamed and yet held responsible for all of the problems that exist Yeah, in marriages and, and even in churches. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women are blamed for problems that happen that have that churches have as well. It's just it's absolutely insane because women are actually part of the solution. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's and what, what I'm hoping here. is that now, now that we have data, like what we're able to say is, well, if you want to teach that, you can, but you just got to know women are going to orgasm 35 percent less, and then at least shut them up. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Because we have to give freedom for everyone to believe what they want to believe, but also to understand here are the results though. Mm -hmm. If you like those results, then go for it. (laughs) Well, it has been such a pleasure to have you on here and to see you face to face. If you're listening on the podcast, we are video, we're video, video taping. What do you call this? We're, we're, that's like the old school way of, yeah. And it was like, we're zoom recording, we're zooming it. Yeah. We're zooming right now. So we're going to put this, I'm going to put it on my YouTube channel, but, um, so if you want to see Sheila, you can see she's beautiful today. We were talking about how she gets her hair to fluff up. She has to have a brand new haircut apparently. <laughs> and I haven't had my haircut. I haven't had my haircut for probably five months and mm-hmm. I'm letting my grays grow out. I'm going to wait till COVID is kind of and then yep. I'm going to get it cut again. We should have you on again sometime. I oh, I love that. A lot yeah. we could talk about. But, and remember everybody, if you do want to see that scorecard of how your- oh, We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about I that. Know we we, we missed it. it, but yeah, I do have that scorecard of how your quote unquote favorite uh, Christian book scored. So you can see our rubric. We created this rubric of, of healthy marriage teaching about female sexuality on, on 12 different um, levels. And then we just scored all the books on those 12 elements and guess which one scored zero out of 48 love and respect. Yes. love. Yeah. And, you want to see, you want to hear what's really sad is we, we took John Gottman's marriage book, which is a secular book. It's the best-selling secular one. And we did that as our control. You want to guess what that scored out of 48? Oh, what? 47. Oh, so good. Because our best book, our best selling Christian resource, like Love and Respect, was the best selling marriage resource that we looked at. It scored zero. Our best selling secular one scored 47. Wow. Oh, what, is that so that, 
What does that say about the evangelical? Exactly. Exactly. And that book, the book that she's talking about is, um, the seven, is it seven habits of healthy Seven principles of making marriage work. I there think. you go. I, I always get it wrong. wrong in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So that book and then Sheila's books. We'll put links to all of this in the show notes so people can go there. Wasn't there another rubric too that you were you'd mentioned before we started? Where um, I we yeah. Out? Well, we were working on another one. We haven't published yet, but you oh, can okay. take a look at this scorecard and we rated everything from one to four. Um, and there were some Christian books that scored really well on healthy sexuality. Um, Gift of Sex by the Penners also scored 47. Um, Intimate Issues was in the 40s. Boundaries in Marriage was in the 40s. You know, so there were some that scored well. Okay. But then there were a whole lot that just failed. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I know Love and Respect is your favorite. Oh, yes. I've talked about that a lot. So maybe you can put a link to my open letter to focus on the family about love and respect as well. Yes, so. that was the bomb. So yeah, you guys need to check out her blog. If you haven't yet, you absolutely need to go over there. I'll put, yeah, I need to put a link to that too. The love and respect letter. Did anything ever come of that? Uh, well, they ended up issuing a statement, which was stupid, where they called okay. they called love and respect uh, a biblically sound, empowering message for wives. And then I wrote my own statement against their statement. And, okay. Yeah. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. But, you know, really, it was that interaction with Focus on the Family and lo- around love and respect that we never would have written this book without that. Like, if yeah. they had actually taken our, 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 our concern seriously, we never would have done this. But it was the fact that they just were willfully blind because they are they were more invested in men retaining power than they were in making sure that marriages were healthy. Yeah, but I love that because that was the impetus for something that's going to be so much more impactful and influential long years and years and years into the future. What you yeah. guys have done. It's amazing. Yeah. And in the last chapter of the book, we tell that story about love and respect and focus on the family. And I'm hoping the focus on the family may actually regret what they did (laughs) and repent and and consider this differently. I hope so too. Because if they really want people to focus on the family, they're going to need to address this issue. Well, maybe we need to stop focusing on the family and start focusing on Jesus too. There you go. I love that even more. We'll end on that note because that was awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Sheila. And thank you for those of you guys who are listening. Until next time, lie free.